Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and this podcast features a plethora of brilliant, integrative, and functional medicine doctors. And while each episode bores into the expertise of the particular guest, I have found there is a lot of crossover when it comes to important topics and vital information. So in that spirit, one of our fantastic producers, Violet Augustine, has compiled a number of excerpts about mitochondria taken from past episodes with three prolific doctors, Stephen Gundry, Casey Means, and Robert Lustig. The mitochondria are small organelles in a cell that produce energy from the food that you eat and the oxygen that you breathe. These fascinating jelly bean shaped structures actually have their own genetic material, all of which you get from your mother that's distinct from the DNA in the nucleus of the cell. Their origin goes back billions of years when an archaea engulfed a purple bacteria, and this tryst birthed aerobic respiration and springboarded complex life. Pretty unbelievable. My hope is that by the end of this mashup, you'll have a better understanding of the importance of mitochondria with regards to your everyday functions and you'll leave with ways to apply that knowledge you gained to improve your health and energy levels. Before we dive in, I wanna let you know about some of our programs on the Commune course platform. If you're interested in courses on metabolism, or if you wanna learn even more about mitochondria, functional medicine, or nutrition, well, you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire treasure trove of programs, including more than 100 courses on spiritual and physical health. Just go to onecommune.com slash trial. And please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcatcher. It really makes a difference. Okay, so our first guest is Dr. Stephen Gundry. Dr. Gundry is a physician, former cardiac surgeon, and researcher who investigates the impact of diet on health. This first excerpt is taken from the full-length episode titled The New Science Behind the Keto Diet that aired originally on February 17th, 2022. And if you feel so inclined to browse the snacks, listen to the full episode from February 17th, 2022. Here's Dr. Stephen Gundry with his helpful and entertaining metaphor that explains mitochondrial function called the mitoclub. I think this is a, a good time to talk a little bit about energy production in the body um, and the mitochondria, and you use this absolutely hilarious and very fun metaphor in the book uh, with the nightclub analogy, <laughs> the mitoclub. The mitoclub. I love it. Yeah, so, um, so the electron transport chain, which uh, was proposed by Sir Peter Mitchell, who also finally won the Nobel Prize, uh, the electron transport chain um, Simplistically, I call a nightclub that has an entrance on one end of the nightclub and an exit on the other end of the nightclub. And uh, 
20-somethings, which we'll, which we'll call energy substrates, like glucose, like proteins, like free fatty acids, uh, enter this nightclub. You know, I call it the Mito Club, and it's the hippest, hottest place in town. And they go there for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to couple with oxygen. And if they couple with oxygen, then they leave the nightclub via a one-way revolving door. And this is the process of leaving the electron transport chain coupled uh, produces ATP, literally very much like water going over a water wheel um, you know, producing energy. And there's only one way out. And in this nightclub, the, the electron transport chain is, is really changing energy levels of electrons and protons. It's getting them excited. And we laugh uh, in longevity that, you know, the only purpose of life is to move an electron from one level of charge to another. But I digress. So, <laughs> so things, and, and believe it or not, this club is hot, it's steamy, it's sweaty. There are so many hormones going on. There's drinking and all for the purpose of, of getting this coupling going. Well, that's all well and good. But the process of coupling uh, has a lot of side effects. There are fistfights. There is a lot of drunken craziness. And we actually have bouncers in the nightclub. And people probably know of at least one of the bouncers. It's glutathione. The other bouncer, which is a surprise to almost everybody, is melatonin. And yeah. it's a surprise to almost everybody that we only have two antioxidants that actually work in our mitochondria, glutathione and melatonin, but we'll digress for a minute. In the process of looking to couple up, electrons will also, just because everybody's rowdy, will couple with oxygen by, if you will, mistake. And we now know that that coupling process produces free radicals, produces reactive oxygen species. And while some of those are pretty good, they make it a pretty interesting place to be, a lot of them we now know is one of the major processes that damage the club, the mitochondria. And pretty soon, you know, you've got beer all over the place and broken chairs, and it's no longer the hip place that you want to be. So that's how the electron transport chain works. And part of what glutathione and melatonin do is to tamp down this unwanted coupling, if you will, and try to get oxygen to couple with protons and make some CO2 and head out the door. What was fascinating to me when, when Peter Mitchell proposed this, a lot of very smart chemists, chemists said, no, wait a minute. It, the process of making ATP using this system, using mitochondria, you should take one molecule of glucose and always get 32 molecules of ATP. Every time. It's a chemical equation. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and Peter Mitchell said, well, wait a minute. You know, you guys are all running these experiments with isolated mitochondria. And guess what? You know, sometimes we're getting yeah, 28 molecules. Yeah, of ATP. right. Yeah. yeah and, and what's happening to those guys? So it wasn't until really when his 
theory was accepted that almost simultaneously, and he got the Nobel Prize, on, I think, in 1978. Almost simultaneously, uh, three re researchers said, you know, he's right about all of this, but what's missing is, well, where were these, why weren't we getting 32 molecules of ATP? So they proposed that there were literally emergency exits along the electron transport chain that were controlled by what were called uncoupling proteins that could literally open the door of an emergency exit and let protons escape from the club instead of going all the way down through the revolving door. And they proposed that these escape hatches, and there were five of them, would be why in all these experiments, you never got to that magic number of 32. And so when I learned about uncoupling proteins, uh, and I started putting two and two together, it, I realized that uh, a great amount of the calorie potential to produce energy was automatically being wasted and net out of the electron transport chain. And in fact, I didn't know this, but 30% of all the calories that we eat never make it into ATP production. They are wasted out these emergency exits in the mitochondria. So now you go, well, wait a minute. If you're designing an animal, that's really stupid because now he basically has to eat 30% more food just to produce the energy to stay alive. So what's the deal? Well, one of the deals is in the process of letting these protons escape from the glove, they produce heat. And mm -hmm. we happen to be warm-blooded animals. And believe it or not, even cold-blooded animals depend on this to keep their body temperature. And so heat production is an important part of this. But what became apparent, and we'll go into DMP in a minute, is that you could waste a lot of calories by opening up these emergency exits. You could literally do a caloric bypass. Well, it just so happens that ketones aren't some phenomenal fuel. It turns out that ketones are a phenomenal signaling molecule that actually, among other things, actually do three things. They tell mitochondria to waste fuel, to open up these emergency exits, which on the surface seems really stupid to do because ketones' original purpose was to be produced during starvation, to keep the brain kind of hanging in there until food arrives. And it would make no sense if you're starving to death to waste fuel. And then I stumbled upon an obscure paper by Dr. Martin Brand. And the paper was published in 2000. I recommend it to anybody because it's actually an re easy read. And the paper is simple. Uncouple to survive. And that's the name of the paper. And he said, in extremis, at all costs, the mitochondria has to protect itself from death. 
because if the mitochondria dies, it doesn't matter what happens to the muscles, it doesn't happen to anybody else, you're screwed. So the mitochondria should do everything in its power to protect itself. So stepping back for a second, producing energy is really costly. It's really damaging the mitochondria. The club becomes a mess. So if we actually waste some of all these people entering the club, the place calms down. So that's number one. Number two, it's okay to waste energy, but you got to have a certain amount of energy production or things flutter to a stop. So it turns out that ketones and other substances actually tell mitochondria not only to waste some of the stuff out the side door, but to make more of themselves to share the workload. Now it really starts to make sense because, okay, you're protecting each individual mitochondria by having it work less, but you're simultaneously adding more mitochondria to take up the workload, each at a reduced workload. Uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say we have a dog sled, since it's now winter, and we have a two dog sled pulling a guy, and they're doing a lot of work. If we add six more dogs, we now have an eight dog sled. Each of those dogs now has to do about a quarter of the work that the two guys did, but you're going to get, you know, you're going to go as fast, probably faster. So it actually makes sense to have a program to make a lot more mitochondria when times are tough. And for instance, most people have heard of brown fat. Brown fat is brown because it's so packed with mitochondria that it's literally brown. And brown fat, it turns out, is actually one of the keys to lifelong health. And brown fat produces heat. And we can actually see it. So mitochondria protect themselves. They build more of themselves called mitogenesis. And the third thing that happens from ketones is it literally instructs mitochondria to repair themselves, to do the maintenance that's needed to keep them in tip-top condition. And so as I talk about the Mito Club, uh, the Mito Club owner actually wants less people in his mito club to a point where it's a place to be, but he doesn't want to lose those customers. So he builds more mito club to uh, take up the slack. And so like you say, I carry the analogy to its final end. <laughs> yeah, you do a great job with it. Hopefully, Dr. Gundry's mitoclub metaphor helped you to understand how mitochondria function as the energy producers of our cells. It certainly helped me to envision how the different foods I consume, like the MCT oil I put in my coffee, are actually being put to work. And I don't know about you, but I can't help but imagining what outfit a medium-chain triglyceride might wear to the mitoclub. Well... <laughs> Anyways, this next excerpt is from the podcast episode, Why Blood Sugar Matters, with Dr. Casey Means, that aired on March 17th, 2022. Dr. Means is a Stanford-trained physician, chief medical officer and co-founder of the metabolic health company Levels, and the associate editor of the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention. 
Now, in this short excerpt, she reveals the downstream impacts of excess glucose on our mitochondria and how it can damage them. It's not all bad news, though, because she also shares insight on how to begin to repair your mitochondria. Without further delay, here is Dr. Casey Means on how to build your foundational understanding of the Mito Club. What happens when we have excess glucose in our bloodstream and what are some of the downstream or knock-on impacts of that? Glucose is blood sugar, of course, and, and for that to be taken out of the bloodstream into the cells to be processed or stored, it requires in most cell types insulin, which is like a lock and key that when when glucose comes into the bloodstream and, and rises, the pancreas releases this hormone insulin, which then binds to the cell receptor and allows for the glucose to, to come in. The glucose then is going to be transported to the mitochondria. And this is the key thing. Anything that damages the function of the mitochondria is going to essentially create a backup of glucose in the cell that's ultimately going to also signal for this process called insulin resistance to happen. And insulin resistance is a sort of protective mechanism of the cell saying, we're not able to process all this glucose, so stop putting it in the cell. So the cell becomes less sensitive to that insulin signal, and therefore what's going to happen is less glucose is going to get into the cell. You're going to start seeing that rise in the bloodstream. And this block to insulin, you know, it's sort of like the, the cell saying like there's no room at the inn, and so like we're going to help protect the cell from more coming in because we can't, we can't host it. So then you've got to think about, well, what are the things that are going to potentially make the mitochondria not able to process that glucose? Um, and one of the, it's, it's interesting, like one is just what we were talking about before, which is having just over um, being asked to produce, to process too much glucose, but there's other things and really anything that creates oxidative stress. So too much free radical activity in the cell can yeah. also really hurt the mitochondria. So this is a way that insulin resistance and problems with glucose can arise actually separate from just over too much glucose in the body and that are really important to zero in on. And I think a framework to think about is like anything that's hurting my mitochondria is making me less metabolically healthy. Because then you open it up from, it's just sugar that's causing diabetes and obesity to actually there's a whole world of things that can impact the mitochondria and lead to these problems. So for instance, like um, interestingly, fructose, which is not glucose, but it's you know what's found in high fructose corn syrup and what's found in um, juice and, and you know in high levels in these foods that are refined um, fructose products. So interestingly, as fructose, even though it will not raise glucose in the bloodstream, it will be processed by the cell in such a way that it generates a metabolic byproduct called uric acid. And uric acid is a molecule that actually creates oxidative stress in the mitochondria. So even though this is glucose independent, it's creating a problem in the mitochondria, which is then telling the cell, we can't process all this glucose become insulin resistant. So oxidative stress can happen. And uric acid is one example. Of course, oxidized, other oxidized foods. So we hear a lot about oxidized seed oils. So these like vegetable oils and seed oils um, that are prone to oxidation, those can also hurt the mitochondria. And stress can, can do this as well. It can generate damage in the mitochondria. 
So that's just to say there's sort of a holistic world of things that can impact the mitochondria that can lead to problems with how the cell is processing glucose and cause glucose to rise in the body. And then you hear about all these, um, you know, sort of things that people are doing now to kind of improve their health, the sort of biohackery type things like cold plunging and saunas and intermittent fasting. And I think it's interesting to just touch on this really quickly, because in many ways, these are helping by impacting the mitochondria. When we're fasting, when we are putting um, the body into cold stress, um, when we do you know, high intensity interval training or zone two training, actually lower intensity, longer periods of training, what we are doing is building, we are stimulating the body to build more mitochondria. So Dr. Means specifically addressed glucose. Our next guest, Dr. Robert Lustig, is going to reveal some of the common foods that we eat that might be poisoning our mitochondria. But don't despair, because by the end, you'll have a solid list of foods to avoid the next time you're at the market. Couple those with Dr. Mean's suggestions on how to repair your mitochondria from the last excerpt, and you've got a good running start. Dr. Lustig is a pediatric endocrinologist and professor emeritus at the University of California, San Francisco. This excerpt is from his episode titled The Lure and Lies of Processed Food that aired on May 12, 2022. He takes the information Dr. Mean shared and broadens the scope while keeping it bite-sized in this five-minute excerpt. And with that, I give you Dr. Robert Lustig. If there's one word that your listeners need to walk away with and understand, it's mitochondria. Now, if you took 10th grade biology, you learned about the mitochondria, okay? It is an essential component of uh, high school biology education. Problem is you haven't heard of it since, and you need to. It's the most important part of the cell. You hear about the nucleus all the time because that's where the DNA is and everybody's into genetics. Well, this is actually a bigger problem than genetics. Mitochondria are the little energy burning factories inside each of our cells. Glucose is the primary energy source, but there are other energy sources as well, such as fat, ketones, amino acids, alcohol, um, and of course, fructose, which we will get to in a minute, all right? But glucose is the primary energy source. And there are two steps to turning glucose into energy to power the cell. The first step is called glycolysis. That's what yeasts do, fermentation. That's the difference between wine and grape juice. And the second, is what we call aerobic respiration, mitochondrial function. And that's where the majority of the ATPs, the adenosine triphosphates, the chemical energy that food gets turned into that powers the cell gets done. When your mitochondria work, you make lots of ATP and that's what your cells want to do, especially brain cells, because they use a lot of ATP because neurotransmission is ATP, energy intensive, ATP intensive. And there's no place to store energy in the brain because 
I mean, you need <laughs> you need your neurons for work, not for storage. Okay, so you need a steady supply of glucose and you need a steady supply of energy and you need a steady supply of mitochondrial function in order to make your brain work right. Well, anything that disrupts mitochondria is going to end up causing disease. And it turns out that there are chemicals in our environment that do that. Cyanide does that, but you know, cyanide's a poison, we know it. But there are a lot of things that do it that aren't considered poison, but they are because they disrupt mitochondrial function. Okay, trans fats do that, and they are poison. We know that now, but we didn't know it for 100 years. You know, the first trans fat was made in 1902. Crisco was patented in 1911. And by 1920, virtually every baked good in America was, you know, made with trans fats because trans fats didn't go rancid vis-a-vis -vis the 10-year-old Twinkie. All right, but it turns out the trans fats actually poisoned your mitochondria. Well, alcohol poisons your mitochondria and branched chain amino acids poison your mitochondria. And it turns out fructose. This sweet molecule in sugar poisons your mitochondria too. And so if you can't get the ATP out of your cell, you're going to have cell dysfunction and ultimately cell death. And when you have cell death, guess what? You have human death too. So keeping your mitochondria on its tippy toes and working as efficiently to generate the most energy possible is a prime directive of health. Thanks a lot for listening to this mashup episode on mitochondria. Let me know what you think. Hopefully our experts didn't scare you too much, but just enough to inspire you to take care of those tiny organelles that have such a big hand in taking care of you. Now, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you're a regular listener, you have a sense for how much effort we put into this show's creation, and we really do our best to keep advertisers to a minimum. So if you're looking for a way to support our efforts, the best way to do so is subscribe to Commune. You'll access more than 100 courses featuring the world's top authors and doctors and thought leaders, and you can check it out for 14 days for free, no strings attached, at onecommune.com slash trial. Of course, feel free to reach out to me directly with suggestions, questions, criticism of the constructive variety at jeffk at onecommune.com. And lastly, but not leastly, I'd like to thank all the folks that make this show possible week over week, specifically Violet Augustine this week for putting together this mashup, and also Jacob Lau, Megan Stone, Silvana Alcala, Wellington Gonzalez, and Ryan Tillotson. Okay, that's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you. Mm -hmm.